But to me, the end game is rather a state you want to get to. And this is something that you can clearly define in the beginning. If you cannot define where you want to go into which state you want to get as a business, as a project, as a person, then it's probably not worth starting. But the exact detail, this is something that might change in the end. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and friendly than other people expect. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work, and personalities of Ukrainian people with a focus on the capital Kiev, so that foreigners discover the positive truth about Ukraine, hear the voices of Ukrainians, visit the country and invest in the economy, creating more opportunities for the younger Ukrainian generations to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to help liquidate the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero for me and even though He struggled with cancer after that for the rest of his life. He always told me many great things about Ukraine and its people. Then from 2018 to 2019, for two years, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to help build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I couldn't return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19. So this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine, and thank you. Thank you all so much for the support. This podcast now is ranked number one on Apple Podcasts about Ukraine, top 100 travel podcasts en France, in France, top 100 in Switzerland, top 100 in Ireland, top 60 travel podcasts in the United Kingdom, top 60 in Norway, top 50 in Sweden, top 50 in Canada, top 30 in Italy, top 30 in Spain. Top 25 travel podcasts on Apple Russia, top 20 on Apple Poland, top 20 in the Netherlands, top 10 in Finland, top 10 in Romania, top 10 in Cyprus, and top 10 in South Korea. So please keep supporting as we will reach together 100 interviews and more and follow the Instagram about this project, Aziz.Future. My guest today is Nikita Puz. Nikita is now a member of the executive committee and sales director in CloudMade, an automotive and artificial intelligence business. From Mariupol to the Kiev Taras Shevchenko University, where he received a bachelor's degree in French translation, to being a deputy administrator of the Department of Information and International Relations at the Society of Connections with Ukrainians Abroad, Ukraine world, Nikita is a cars and airplanes enthusiast, a casual investor, and an experienced executive. Nikita, how are you today? Hello, I'm, uh, Aziz. I'm great, and I'm pleasure to be here. I'm very, very pleased to, to be invited to your uh, podcast. How are you? I'm great, enthusiastic, and looking forward to this. So, okay, let's begin with something really, really interesting. One of two. 
Was there a moment in your life and experience that truly changed the trajectory of your life and you thought, wow, this, I learned something that I need to be doing or to change a way of being? That's one. Or if that's not the case, what is some lesson that you try to remember every day and think this is the correct way for me to be so that I succeed even more? Thanks for asking. Uh, I cannot think of a very specific and, I don't know, a pivoting point that I would have experienced in my life. And at the same time, there is a general life concept that I tend to follow and I tend to remind myself of uh, every now and then. And this is the fact that you're lucky when you do a lot of things. The more you try, the more you do different stuff, the more luck follows you. So to me, luck is not something um, which is mathematical. Uh, to me, luck is something uh, that doesn't help you in random stuff. But to me, luck is something that helps you do better in the stuff that you do more often and with more um, caring about the quality, I would say, if that makes sense. And, and, and this is actually part of the overall path to success. So I mean, they say you need to be lucky to be successful. And I think that in order to be lucky, you just need to be really active. You need to do as much of stuff that you want to. Yeah. Thank you, Nikita. I'm really excited about this because you have such a diverse life experience and a lot of great things that you have achieved. So I would like to begin with this question. What is the story? that made you the Nikita of today? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, I'm, I would say there is no specific story. There is no fairy tale or anything. Um, it would be a little bit probably arrogant to say this is just honest work, but honestly, this is mostly honest work. So I try to live by the concept that you're successful when you're lucky enough and you're lucky enough when you do a lot of stuff, when you try more different things, so that simply mathematically, statistically, you get more opportunities to be lucky. And probably that's what my life has been about. Uh, just trying as much as possible, getting as many different experiences as possible, and uh, transforming those experiences in, the, um, in my personality, in my career, in a way. Uh, yeah, I guess that's my story. Thank you. It reminds me of during the Renaissance, the Venice traders, they used to say that success is 50% hard work and 50% good fortune. And uh, <laughs> like John Wick's tattoo, that fortune favors the brave or those who take risks. So I imagine you're somewhat of a John Wick. <laughs> they're in Kiev with a secret double life. And so to ask you, because, okay, look, you graduated in French translation, which is more of a literature-based studies. Well, now you're speaking about mathematics and more of statistical scientific terms, as well as working in IT and artificial intelligence. Well, how was the move from going from more of a literature mind 
into a, this more of a scientific mathematical way of being? I would say that the university studies were less of a blend move, but rather a launchpad for me, because I, from maybe when I was 10 years old, I was much into computers, into all the electronics and IT stuff, especially in software. Uh, and uh, But at a certain point, I realized that, well, French can be my competitive advantage because uh, I started learning when I was uh, maybe in seventh grade, when I was maybe 12 years old. And um, uh, basically, I used the French university um, grade as a launch pad to move to Kiev from Mariupol, which wasn't full of potential, uh, wasn't having that much of potential even as it is having right now. Uh, it was quite a depressive industrial city at that time uh, to move to Kiev, which is more open to the opportunities. And I did try to see for myself the future in the translation or philology, if you will, but eventually, I found uh, it in the um, in the IT business, and uh, maybe from the second year in the university, I realized that this is what I want to do. Uh, but I don't want to abandon what I have with the with learning the languages, and it turned out to be the right uh, combination in the end. Thank you. It seems to me that the way you think is more of a strategic way, and you mentioned even as a personal, as you personally. French was your competitive advantage or pursuing that. Well, there is a book that is called The End of Competitive Advantage. And in it, the author argues that nowadays, the marketplace changes so rapidly that in reality, you cannot sustain any competitive advantage. And the only competitive advantage is the flexibility to adapt to new trends faster and then collect what the Schumpeterian, I don't know if you know about the science of entrepreneurship, but Schumpeter, he argues that it's only the beginning of any trend. Those are the people who make the entrepreneurial profits and people who come later will get average profits and therefore being first on a trend. If you bet correctly, you will get a lot more entrepreneurial profit. But those are just thoughts to enrich the minds of the listeners, just to ask you then more of a simple question. How do you predict or think of the next moves? Is it a logical, strategic thinking and using your brain? Or do you have an inner sense and following of your heart that lets you know what to do next? That is one. And another, maybe in business, how do you approach competitive advantage? And do you think that author of the book the end of competitive advantage that now everything is changing so fast that you cannot really keep a competitive advantage? Is that a correct thought? Um, answering the first question, how do I uh, predict? How do I plan strategically? Uh, I do plan in a broad strokes the direction of where I would want to be moving, but I never have specific plans, specific step-by-step -step actions, because, you know, as the proverb says, if you want to make uh, the God laugh, tell him about your plans. Uh, I do understand that it's more important to have an end goal and to be as adaptive as possible on the path to that end goal, not having specific, you know, letters and checklists 
to cross. And actually, I think this partially answers the second question. I fully agree with that book author that there is no such thing as a specific, unique competitive advantage, but there is a competitive advantage of flexibility. And I mean, if you look at the natural science, if you look at the uh, evolution, the concept of evolution, those who survived are those who were able to adapt in the best way possible to the changing environment. And I think this adaptability is the biggest virtue, uh, is the biggest asset, if you will, of uh, any person in the, in the modern world, uh, world. Thank you. So in many ways, it's called, uh, the way that you set goals is called teleological where you put an end goal, but don't plan the steps in between, rather than what most other people do. They try to create plans. And teleological is when you begin with the end and then let all the roads that could be leading to there be open to your reticular activating system. But let's not go there. Let's keep things a bit more simple. So to ask you then, something very, very simple. It seems to me that you're a very independent person and a logical thinker who also had moments in life that let you know that your plans, they're just like Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So <laughs> until, or until life punches you in the face in this case. Did you have moments where you had plans and then you realized that in reality, planning is just something that we do as a way to keep hopeful, but life is too chaotic for us to plan everything. And maybe you had some wisdom about this you would like to share, as well as about you. Are you an independent person? Were you even since your childhood someone who made your own decisions? Or are you someone who listened to what your parents and you were more trying to make their wishes and dreams and goals become true? Well, I totally see myself as, a, as an independent person who would never have become the person that I am right now without the help of people surrounding me. So I'm very open to any external information, help, advice, whatever you, um, uh, you can think of. But at the same time, I tend to keep the uh, decision-making to myself. And uh, this has been more or less the case since my childhood, I would say. And my parents did provide me with a lot of support in terms of my building of my personality in a way in maybe helping me or making some decisions for me when I was, well, too small to actually being able to logically come up with a decision. But they created this, uh, again, launchpad, which would be apparently the word of today's conversation. Uh, they created this launchpad for me, uh, which I then used to uh, jump uh, forward and uh, hire uh, myself, again, adapting to specific stuff. I, I don't think I had a specific uh, punch you in the face, end of quote, uh, situation. Rather, I was too lazy and procrastinative to a certain extent to start building my own plans until I realized that making plans doesn't work. And that end game setting and adaptability works. So I think I learned it the easy way, <laughs> if you will. Wait, wait, wait. You said you are lazy. Do you think of yourself as someone lazy 
or was that only a period in the past? And I'm not saying you're lazy, like you don't do anything, but do you think, oh, I could do much more every day, but I'm not doing as much as I could? I think this is less of a laziness and more of a tendency for uh, procrastination in a way. And um, maybe laziness for me is like seizing more of opportunities that may come to me. But I'm such a person who pre- uh, who prefers to to keep the stuff for later. And when the later comes, the stuff may not be needed at all. So I saved a lot of efforts. And maybe this is the kind of laziness uh, I have in mind, in a way. So I prefer to let some idea or let some concept or some task to sit and marinate for a while until I fully understand its urgency, or I actually can freely discard it since, well, it was not worth uh, starting uh, to be done anyways. I love that. It reminds me of the decision-making strategy of Shane Parrish, where he says most people have the strategy of ASAP as soon as possible, but he recommends the strategy of ALAP, which is as late as possible, and to make the decision and collect information until the very last moment where you have to make the decision rather than try to do it early and then waste a lot of time when other information might have come up that will make the decision unnecessary, like you said, which is, you calling it procrastination, him who worked for some very important security agencies and all, he's an advisor to some of the best, the fortune 50 and 100 companies in the world so you're it's not procrastination it's called patience and wisdom but uh, he I'm, says I'm, I'm not that I'm, I'm not that arrogant to 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 uh, to call this wisdom on my side <laughs> i would say and uh when you were saying about that uh, i just remember that there is a downside to such approach it is very complicated to be incorporated in the teamwork so it's very hard to coordinate with other people around you who might be targeting the same result, that it's fine to wait a little bit more, that it's better to wait to get, I don't know, more information, to get more insights. And this is something I'm struggling with uh, sometimes with this kind of a team coordination with people who have a different mindset, which is not wrong. It's just different. So it's a little bit uh, a challenge. <laughs> Wonderful. So now I have to ask you, and there are two arguments that relate to this, and this is something that is very important to me, and I have my own thoughts, but I'll just share the two perspectives and get yours. So there are people, of course, who will say, in organizations, you have to compromise. There are so many different personalities. You have to do what the team agrees on and be more about harmony. And I have a guest who who is the uh, marketing director for Discovery Channel and Eurosport and Noosphere's communication and all that. And she's all about this, finding how people like to communicate and communicating with them and building harmony within a team. So there is that one. And there is the other one, which is the book called Good to Great, and Good to Great by James Collins, he says, no, actually, if you're going to compromise, 
you're basically destroying the integrity of your idea or team. And he gives a metaphor of a bus. He says, rather than trying to convince your team later of things, find the values and get people who are similar to you in values and who thinks in the same way, for example, as late as possible like you are. And when you build this, you will have a team that will be high performing because there is no friction or time wasted trying to compromise, but everyone will be like a well-oiled and honed machine going to the direction of your end goal and being very flexible rather than wasting time trying to agree. What are your thoughts on this? So with all due respect to the both concepts, I cannot say 100% support either, but I do tend to the second one, to the actual uh, specific target and less of the compromise, but with an important remark. So the way I'm looking at that is, and, and my I, I had a great coach uh, with a great track history of founding different startups and consulting different startups who taught me that, who said that I come to any new idea, any new concept with already a very strict opinion. I come very opinionated knowing for sure what needs to be done, but I'm as flexible as possible to changing this opinion when I have some new inputs. And this is what I consider the correct strategy. When you put compromising as the main goal of the process, I don't think it will ever end well. When you are straightforward as a tank, it doesn't help either. But if you do have a specific idea, if you do have a specific concept and a specific opinion on something, but you are open to changing or adapting this opinion, this is what would lead you to success. Does it make sense to you? Yes, it does very much for me. And so I'm going to ask a somewhat of an unrelated question, but I noticed it when I speak to people who say they want to be entrepreneurs in Ukraine specifically. This is what they say. They say, I want to work in a corporate environment or startup to gain all the skills needed for entrepreneurship so that I will learn about marketing, about management, about analysis, about all that, so that I'm ready to be an entrepreneur, which is totally different to successful entrepreneurs who, from like Silicon Valley, who I spoke with or interviewed, and from the US, they actually say that is a really slow way to do. Rather than trying to get those skills, actually be the entrepreneur who finds the people with those skills and put them into a team. And rather than thinking about what skill do I need, say who is the right person that will give me access to that skill and build a team based on a vision and getting people who are much better than you rather than you getting the skill yourself, which I notice is almost of two opposite ways of operating. One, I think you probably will say a little bit of both since that is your favorite <laughs> answer. It's both at the same time. But one, did you notice this in, uh, in Ukraine that people try to get the skills until they feel ready? to become entrepreneurs? Or do you agree with those Americans, American entrepreneurs, and many of them very successful, who focus on getting the right people rather than 
get, be having the right skills and then managing and leading those people. I can totally agree with your observations. Uh, I think that the main reason for such a mindset in terms of I need to first learn comprehensively and only there start doing something is a little bit like scarred by the uh, Soviet uh, universities, the way they feed you knowledge and the way that the whole learning system has been built. This is the legacy that we are facing right now in the Ukrainian society, in a way. I am not sure that these people are actual entrepreneurs because the way I see them, the entrepreneurs in Ukraine are exactly the people who follow the second path. They start doing without having any well clear plan or rather any good baggage of knowledge and they just start learning by doing and i think this is uh what makes them quite unique and standing out uh from the rest of them so i do agree on a societal level there is uh this bias that you first need to learn before you start doing something on the other hand i do think that the successful entrepreneurs in ukraine specifically they do have uh, the mindset of following the path of learning by doing right away. I agree with you, and that's a wonderful answer. And then to ask you then, look, you could have lived anywhere in the world. You could now, and imagine there is no corona because it's not <laughs> a good place to be, but you could be now in Manhattan or Miami or Hollywood or I don't know, wherever is your favorite, maybe London or Sydney but you chose to stay in Ukraine. Well, why? What kept you there? What positives do you see about being in Ukraine? And what is the reasoning behind this? I would say I, was, um, I wasn't much opinionated about staying in Ukraine, maybe up till 2014. Uh, and when the Ukrainian revolution started, and I've seen how many great people surround me, I realized that I want to stay in the environment surrounded by those great people. I realized it was a contextual bias of the moment and that not all the people are like that, but I just like the overall uplift, spiritual, if you will, of being surrounded by such people who can collaborate together, who can create together. And I'm seeing this even in the recent years, how many, like six years passed already, uh, almost, almost seven. And uh, I see still the small, in a good way, aftershocks of this behavior in the society, in the people surrounding us. And uh, I really like what I'm seeing. I really see a lot of potential in the Ukrainian society, in the people who can jump out of the usual slash Soviet mindset and create something new, something beautiful. And in a certain way, I think Ukraine also has an advantage of not having the entrepreneurship culture such as the West, especially such as the USA have, because we can create something completely unique out of nowhere, not standing on the shoulders of giants, but standing on the broadest possible field of opportunities. And, and this is one of the reasons why I actually don't want to move anywhere, uh, because I like seeing super bright people around me. I'm pretty sure there is a lot of bright people in every country, but I'm very satisfied with what I see in Ukraine and I'm feeling very comfortable knowing that such great people are here. And I also like the overall, I would say, openness of the society and the market 
to different opportunities. They might be already closed. This window of opportunity might be already closed somewhere in the West because simply they have started working with this concept sooner and there has been more competition. There has been more practice over there. While in Ukraine, such windows are only opening right now and they're opening much wider with much more opportunities. And uh, as you mentioned in the beginning, I do have a little bit of a hobby studying the casual financial investments, specifically in Ukrainian market. And this is a much more interesting, albeit volatile uh, area here, where some new ideas appeal uh, appear on a very fertile land, which are already there in the West to a certain way, but we can learn from the West and we can create something new here, adapted it to the local stuff, not again biased by the past experience. And this opportunities, they really do amaze me. I hope uh, I was able to uh, to explain that clearly. No, thank you. That's actually very good. And it makes me think, I think Taras, he said that actually in Ukraine, there are many, many very poor people who are working a lot, maybe 20 hours a day. And there are a few very rich people, but it's IT who is creating the middle class in Ukraine, people who can have work-life balance and have a better living situation. Do you notice this? Do you have a lot of hope for the middle class of Ukraine? And what are your thoughts on his observation? Well, I do hope for, um, well, I do see a lot of opportunity for the middle class development in Ukraine. There is a huge area which is currently not filled correctly. And there is indeed a huge wealth gap, uh, which can be observed, as uh, he mentioned. On the other hand, I wouldn't agree it's only the IT. This is a kind of a bias that you get being in this IT bubble, that you're only surrounded by uh, people from IT who are in the same I don't know, financial uh, state as you are. Uh, but the more I speak with different people, I see architects, I see um, very small volume entrepreneurs uh, who have nothing to do with IT at all. I see chefs, for example, opening their small restaurants who also make up all this middle class. Um, so I think this is what is going to be in several years the most growing segment of the society in Ukraine, which is currently very small compared to the Western uh, world. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going to have a huge potential for sure. Great. And I notice actually when you speak in all your answers, you categorize everything. And this usually is a way of thinking that is not the most creative artistic person. Usually they don't think in that way. So I'm asking you, are you an artist in your spare time and have a lot of creativity? Or are you more of the logical kind of person? Uh, as much as I would want to call myself, uh, myself an artist, uh, I think of myself as an executor, rather. So I can come up with an idea, but I'm mostly satisfied by achieving the result, by building this step-by-step contextual adaptive things on the path 
to that result, but I'm not enchanted by the creation process as it is. I'm more enchanted by the process of getting somewhere. Uh, so yeah, I don't think I'm creative. Maybe logical is closer to that. Yeah, but I'm trying to keep a little bit of a, a brisk of creativity to myself, not to be too, uh, too much of a boring, dull person, if you will. Thank you. Wonderful. So now I have to ask, you said you have the strategy of waiting as late as possible and at the same time, this desire for the outcome and for execution. And to me, these seem to be two contradictory strategies. Can you comment on how do you reconciliate both of them? No, I, I, I wouldn't agree that these are contradicting. There is a goal, and I like to be in the process of reaching this goal. And I obviously, as may, I think all of us do, uh, like uh, the sense of achievement. But I'm fine with waiting a little bit till I get to that achievement or till the process starts. I think uh, it actually helps to keep a cool head on the, on the process, not to get too much in love with this end goal so you don't get punched in the face in the end. Wow. I mean, I was going to ask another question. I'll ask both. Ramit Sethi, in his own studies and in his book, he found that there are kind of somewhat two types of people. People who find it very easy to begin projects, but find it difficult to finish them because they keep switching from project to project. And people who find it difficult to begin but they execute until the end and are finishers, as he calls them. Well, I assume you're a finisher with a bit of difficulty in starting projects. Is this correct, or what would you comment? Actually, funny when you ask uh, and when you, when you say it, and I start thinking that I'm getting the most of the drive by starting something, something putting it on the rails, and help and putting more people on board so they can finish it off <laughs> maybe actually it's this is maybe contradictory to what i said five minutes ago uh, but now when i think of it i really love the kickoff process i love setting the rules setting the frameworks if you will and um, helping with the backbone of this execution but not doing it myself and finishing it off i'm getting bored when it gets to a routine and to me this is very important, actually, to set a proper routine that will get you to the finish line. Uh, but I don't feel like a, that I want to make a big part of this routine. I'm more the beginner kind of guy, I guess. Very nice. So what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to me you're very process-oriented. You love to create processes. And then once the process is there, you put also, of course, the people in place to do that process, and then you let it have its own momentum until it finishes. Is this a correct understanding? And it seems to me to be like those all-time inventors who will create machines that they will put perpetual motion machines or whatever that they will create, and then let the machine do its own work, and maybe that's the way you perceive projects as a machine that you build for it to create itself and to continue its work is this correct well yeah pretty much pretty much and i remember um i remember uh catching myself 
spending five hours automating some task, for example, in Excel, where I needed to requantify like different uh, rows and different cells and get some final result out of it, writing some macros, writing some sequence of formulas. And I spent five hours to automate it, which actually, if done manually, would take me only three hours, but I would get much less fun in the process. Great. You said fun in the process and you wasted time somewhat or you took more time, but it was more fun. Yeah. So can you comment on what is fun for you in, in this way? And what is your relationship with time? Do you view, like some people view, that there is urgency and a deadline to achieving things in life? Or do you go more with the flow and with the fun? Well, when you're talking business, there is always a deadline. There is always time to be considered. And it would be quite irresponsible not to take that into account. So I'm trying to get some fun in the process of getting to a specific deadline. I consider time as one of the um, bounding conditions, if you will, uh, one of the specific boundaries that I need to respect and I have no control of. What I do have control of is how great will be a ride within that time frame within those limits. So, uh, and I and I actually, I don't think I can uh, specifically uh, qualify what is, what is fun for me. I think it's anything that is fun, <laughs> that has the drive, that has the vibe, uh, that has the energy flowing. I think that is, that is fun. I like this. So now I have to ask, look, there is, there are people like Grant Cardone, who says any project you think about, it probably will take 10 times more work than you expect. Or Jean-Paul Mendoza, who says in any project, you have to choose between two things, either for it to be four times as expensive or to take twice as long to finish. Do you agree with these somewhat of pessimistic thoughts or what is your view on these comments? Um, I don't think I agree with that, actually. Um, I, I think that uh, it's, it's, it's possible to have the best of both worlds, you know, to have the proper time frame, to have the proper pricing. And with my somewhat project management and program management background, uh, I think I've seen it always being possible to, to do within the boundaries. It's not always, or rather quite never, following the initial plan, actually. But it stays in the boundaries and it produces the result that is uh, ex not even expected. It, it produces the result that is needed. I think this is the most important. And this is the common clash of you know waterfall versus agile methodologies if you talk about the project management. Uh, this is not about setting the plan. This is about going with the flow, going with the process, and understanding what exactly you needed, but respecting the boundaries that you have. I think this is more than possible. Wonderful. So you're saying that the three boundaries of a project, which is the time, cost, and quality, you can often respect all three, even though you begin with a, a plan that probably will not be the final result, but you will produce what is needed, correct? Yes, and neither of those boundaries actually relate to the expected result directly. So they are boundaries as they are, 
but the result of if you're talking about an IT project of a customer, what they want to get in the end of yourself, if it's your own project, it can change over the time. So you can still respect those boundaries and you can get to the result that you actually need it when you get to it and you realize it when you get to it, not when you just started the project. Um, that's that's what I'm talking about. So yeah, I think these boundaries can be re respected if you're, if you're flexible enough and uh, if you are not stubborn of getting to the initially set goal while realizing that you actually no longer need to go there. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, in project management, you view the whole project execution as somewhat of a learning process and it's iterative where each time you're learning more about where to go. And therefore, when you begin, you don't know exactly where you will end, but it's the journey that will show you where the end will be and it will be what is needed. Is this a correct and fair understanding? Yes, yes, it, it absolutely is. I was always frightened somewhat by the um, uh, PMP standards of uh, having the specific boundaries and having the specific rules, which talk a lot about the projects, but don't talk as much as I would want to about the goals and the results. And I think it should be the vice versa. Project is is less important. The process even is less important than the fact that you get to the desired result, which might not always be clear at the beginning of it. Thank you. And now I'm sensing a contradiction and please correct me again. You said in your life, you begin with a clear outcome and then you don't, you stay agile in the process. And in project management, you don't know what the outcome will be. It will not be clear. And it's the process that will reveal the outcome. So which one is better? And do you really begin with the outcome then in life? Or are you letting the journey tell you more and more and reveal the outcome? And it may be changing, but in the end, it will be what you need. It may sound contradictory, but if you separate uh, the concept of maybe end game and outcome the way I see it. And I'm not a native English speaker, so I may be mixing up this, uh, these terms a little bit. But to me, the end game is rather a state you want to get to. And this is something that you can clearly define in the beginning. If you cannot define where you want to go into which state you want to get as a business, as a project, as a person, then it's probably not worth starting. But the exact detail, this is something that might change in the end. So, and uh, this is this is what applies to, to the project management, I think. This is what can apply to a personal goal. So I know that I want to get to a specific state, which might be even quite hard to describe or explain, but I have this image in my head. Or a business who wants to develop, they have an image of where this business wants to be, you know, this banal in three years from now. And But this is not specific numbers. This is not specific terms. This is rather an... Uh, image of it that you use as a North Star for all the decisions you're doing in the process. I hope this kind of clears up this contradiction for you. Yes, yes, it's wonderful. And so to ask you, since you spoke about Ukrainian people and when you were in the Euromaidan revolution and noticed all the potential and greatness of the people you were surrounded with, and then actually 
My interview with Valerie, who is the CEO of Drone Wa, he said that he lives in a bubble somewhat in Ukraine of great people, but he thinks that, you know, those are somewhat of exceptional and unique people who are absolutely wonderful. And he recognizes there is a lot of bubble bias in his interactions with those great people. But in general, if you were to describe the people of Ukraine and Ukraine and Kiev to someone who never visited, what would you say and how how would you describe them in a way they will understand? Oh, I really hate putting labels, not even in a bad way. I'm I'm really bad at putting labels on anything, but (laughs) I will probably try. So explaining Ukraine, explaining Kiev, it's it's a country and it's the people, it's the uh, who were somewhat heavily traumatized by the Soviet background, who still have some shreds of it in the mentality, in their mindsets, but who at the same time do realize the opportunities of I don't know capitalism if I uh, if I may use that word the opportunities of the modern western world and technology they are ready to embrace those opportunities they are ready to be open to that and to adapt to that and there is a big I would say core of passionate people who are the drivers and it would be an exaggeration saying that everybody is passionate, you know, everybody is super friendly and open. But this core people who are friendly and open and passionate and know their stuff, um, they actually drive everybody else around them. So it's important to have this core. It's not required to have all the people being like that. So as long as you, even when you stay in this bubble, but you see that you're surrounded with the people who are drivers, uh, who are the powertrain of the changes, of seizing your opportunities, these people, this power train uh, will carry, um, I think, Ukraine into a better future. That's the way I could phrase it. Wonderful. I noticed you're using a metaphor of train now. You said the drivers and the power train. And before, when you spoke about execution and not getting into a routine, you said you like to put things on the rails and let them go. So do you have a metaphor of trains? Are trains something important in your life or you had a fascination with them somehow or what is going on? Oh, not not much. If, if I would want to explain Ukrainian railway to a foreigner, I would say it's much better than American. It's much worse than European. <laughs> but no, no I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have a special thing for, for trains. I do have a special thing for for planes, I love uh, flying. Uh, I love being even a usual passenger in uh, in the uh, economy uh, as well. I also am. I am also a big petrol head, uh, and I love cars and everything around that. And I make it like a big part of my life, but probably not trains. Yeah. <laughs> okay, airplanes. Did you learn something from airplanes that you use? in life in general and you find that that a good source of wisdom and inspiration to take this experience with airplanes or even with cars and apply it into business well i don't think it's much metaphorical but it's more about the state of mind so to me 
being on a plane, like in the middle of a flight, is the greatest, is the most productive state possible because I can isolate myself temporarily from everything around me, disconnect completely from the world, which is very complicated nowadays, and um, and concentrate on something that I want to do, that I need to do, that I uh, need to dedicate my conscious to do. And I think that's why I love uh, uh, being in flight so much, that I have this dedicated, exclusive time for myself. I think this is the most important thing for me. And, well, if you want me to try to generate a kind of a metaphor out of it, then probably the right one would be that you need sometimes to, or not even sometimes, you need to regularly get those, your time, your space, in order to process the things around you. You cannot be always connected to everything because you won't have enough time for yourself. Wonderful. It reminds me of Dean Jackson and he's American. And one of the productivity tips or biggest recommendations, he says, he calls it playing golf because he said, if someone calls your secretary or even texts you and you don't answer and later you say, in America at least, oh, sorry, I was playing golf, they will understand. So he said, well, block time that you consider similar to your golf time or to you, block travel time or airplane time where you stay in a bubble of productivity disconnected from anything and any person who contacts you say, well, I was in the airplane <laughs> and yeah, exactly. it's metaphorical, exactly. but it's very productive. Well, this was very, very wonderful. Let's finish because I want to respect your time, although we could go on for a long, long time with two things. One, any pieces of advice that really are meaningful to you that you would like to share with the listeners and they will benefit, as well as if they would like to connect with you, learn more about what you do, and maybe communicate with you, what are the best ways to do so? Okay, um, so the best piece of advice, I'll probably reiterate what I said uh, in the beginning of this conversation, that to me, the most important one was stay opinionated, stay flexible in your opinion. So I think this is something which helped me uh, a lot and has been helping me uh, so far. Um, um, in terms of connection, I'm available on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, like basically everywhere. I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, hiding behind Elias or anything. So I'm very open to any new connections and uh, yeah, uh, willing to connect with anyone. Uh, who can bring uh, value and to whom I can bring value as well. Thank you, Nikita. It was a pleasure and I wish you a great day. Likewise. Thank you very much, Abdulaziz, and thank you for the work that uh, you have been doing with this podcast. I think this is amazing.